Good evening. Good evening. It's good to have this number out with us for our second half of our worship service on this beautiful Lord's Day. It was a very wonderful day. We've got a beautiful sunset happening there behind y'all and in front of me. And I tell, you, I, I tell you what, every time Jim parks his door out there in that, in that front, it, it's blinding. <laughs> but uh, this evening, I want us to turn to 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8. That's where we're going to begin this evening. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse, actually verse 7 is where the thought starts. But uh, this was supposed to be a continuance of this morning's lesson, but as I'm Dove into it a little bit more, it, it was going to take too long, so I had to basically split it in two. But we need to recognize what we have to do for God's glory. First thing, we need to seek God's glory. First And second of all, we need to serve for God's glory. Well, first off, let's look at the word seek. Before we really get into our lesson, a little bit, little bit of an introduction, the word seek means I'm going to find it, and I'm not going to stop until I find it. That's what, it were, that's what it means to seek for God's mercy, His God's grace. And as we learn from uh, Matthew, that as we uh, seek God and His righteousness first, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all those things that we are not to worry about will be added unto us. We learn that from Matthew 7. So as we keep that into our thoughts and to our minds, as we're seeking God's kingdom and God's righteousness, he will take care of us. He will bless us beyond measure. Now, I'm not saying he's going to put a perfect little bubble around you and protect you from all the things of the world. He didn't do it for Job. He didn't do it for his apostles. He didn't do it for his disciples even in the first century. He will not do that for us. His blessings come in the hereafter. Now, that's also not saying he does not bless us upon this earth. So the things that we're going to talk about tonight is God's glory. But we're going to serve for God's glory. Verse 7 of 1 Peter chapter 4. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to, uh, to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him ask. Uh, excuse, let, let him speak as oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies. Then all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's stop there in the 11th verse before we move on to that second thought. Serving. Whenever Christ gave us a wonderful example to come to this earth to serve. Not... Not to be served, but to serve. This, this was God. This was Jesus, the, the, the son, God the Son. One third God. He came to this earth to serve you and I. Now he's, he's being administered to by his disciples, and, and, and he, he realizes what he needs to be doing from, from the commandment of God. He stoops down and washes his disciples' feet. They really didn't get catch that meaning at that time, but it, it come in a little bit later. The idea of washing their feet, preparing themselves for entering into the service of God. We do realize that we can't serve God and be worldly just like this morning. This, uh, the idea of this morning, we can't please God and be of the world. We can't be with Satan and be serving God. For therefore, one cannot serve two masters. The example we got there in, uh, 
uh, book, chapter, and verse just escaped me. But the scriptures tell us that we can't serve two masters. We'll hate one, love the other, or despise one, and covet the other. So we think about this idea of serving God. But the end of all things in verse 7 is at hand. We can look around and see that. Well, we had that example this morning about the ways of the world. In general, it's sinful. We can see the disobedience of people, people turning away from God, like in, in Jimmy's prayer this evening, the idea of the, the rioting, the, the hatefulness, the, the, the warrings of just in this country, the, the harsh feelings that's going on, people, poor people, just in this country we can see it. That happened in Noah's day. When God destroyed the earth by water. He seen the wickedness of men, so therefore the idea today even in the first century, but the end of all things is at hand. Well, let's look at the term at hand. It means it's near. If you was to reach out and grab something and you're able to grasp it, it's at hand. It's at arm's length. You're able to grab a hold of it. It means it's near to us. It means it's close. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, the idea of therefore, because the end of all things is at, is at hand, be serious and watchful in your prayers. When we, when we pray to God, I, I seriously hope we have a vivid prayer life. We don't just pray when, when we meet as, as a congregation, as brothers and sisters in Christ. Hopefully we don't just pray before our meals. Hopefully we don't pray just before we go to bed. Jesus Christ had a continual state of prayer. He had a continual state of connection to God through prayer. Yes, he gave us examples of going off and speaking to God through prayer. That's a wonderful example for us today. Now, how about being watchful in your prayers? Being serious and being watchful. Well, first, we're going to look at the back end of it and the idea of watchful. You know what it means by being watchful? Being watchful in your prayers. Take notice of what's happening around you. Take notice of things that are going on and pray for them. Your enemies... You might think, well, I ain't got no enemies. Actually, we do as a child of God. We do. Those who are against us. Remember what Jesus Christ said to those who were not with him? He said they were against him. That's right. So therefore, the idea of those who are against us, they are our enemies. Not just the ones who don't do harm to us. And we've been commanded. What do we do for our enemies? We love them. We don't, we don't uh, try to get vengeance on them. We don't try to do harm to them. That's God's task. Be watchful and serious in your prayers. Pray for your enemies. Pray for those individuals who are out there serving Satan. Because here today we are serving God, or we're supposed to be. In, in doing so of serving God, we realize what Christ did for his individuals who are against him. Pray for them. He was in a continual mind state of them. For Christ died while we were yet sinners. Folks, he died for us as well. He died for those individuals who were spitting in his eyes, slapping him in the face on that day that he was crucified on that cross. But now how about be serious? Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. We looked at watchful. Take notice of things that's going on around you and pray for it. Now how about serious? I had, a, I had someone, I'm not going to use any names or any titles, but I had someone to tell me that we're too serious in the church of Christ. I, I've been told that before. You may have been told that as well. Y'all are too serious over there. And folks, our spirituality is exceedingly serious. 
the outcome of our eternal destination is serious. So as we're serious about our spirituality, serious about our prayers, how serious are we? I've said many times and time again, I will continue to say, the faith in our, in our prayers that we pray to God is the power of that prayer. Do we have faith that God will answer that prayer? I hope we do. Because when we're serious about our prayers, that heartfelt feeling that, that we show towards someone when we petition God for them, it might be our loved ones. I know we pray about our loved ones all the time. How about our fellow Christians? A little bit of a, a side note. I guess uh, thinking out of the box, a little joke, if you will. Y'all notice that my, my goatee right here is starting to turn white, right? I look back here at an artist and he's just white. And some, I, I, I come to the realization that worry is the cause of it. And I don't mean the idea is, what are we going to do? My worrisomeness of my fellow brethren who are that I know, who are erring children of God. I worry for them. And I'm serious in my petitions for God for them. How, how often do we pray for those who are erring? Are we serious about it? Are we serious about wanting them back? I hope so. Because when we're watchful and serious in our prayers, that's what it is to serve God. Just this one example that we're getting in verse 7. And then verse 8, that continuation of thinking about our fellow brethren. And how, and above all things, have fervent love for one another. This was wrote to Christians. Yes, we need to have love for those individuals who are outside of Christ. We're focus, focusing on the household of faith. What Paul's focusing on here. So are we focusing on the household of faith showing that love? Christ showed us the idea of love. We read this morning, I believe it was in 2 Peter what we read this morning, the idea of laying one's, laying one's down life for his friends. Are our Christian fellow brethren our friends? Now, I don't mean going out there and offering our life. What I mean, what I mean is giving up our sinful life, our worldly life, to focus on our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's required of us to encourage and admonish and lift our fellow brethren up when they stoop low, when the, when the knees hang down and our tendons hang low, and not tendons, our members, our members hang low, we're to pick them up, to lift them up, to encourage them. For love will cover a multitude of sins. How often do we show love for our Christian fellow brethren? I hope often. Because in showing that love for one another, we're lifting each other up. And in verse 9, be hospitable toward one another. What an encouragement to be hospitable toward one another. To provide for someone, to help them out in time of need, but without grumbling. That's what it says, right? It says be hospitable to one another without grumbling. This idea of well, I'll, I'll use my wife, Melissa, as an example. She's going to kind of slowly look up at me. Don't use me as an example. I'm going to use her as an example, right? She asked me to do the dishes, right? She, she would ask me, Jeremy, would you please help me with the dishes? This would be grumbling. Oh, I can't believe you asked me doing the dishes. on sitting in the sink the whole time washing those dishes. I can't believe I'm washing the dishes. This needs to be her job. That's grumbling, right? Y'all can laugh at that because right. I, I tend to be the one to do the dishes and I, I, I like a clean kitchen. She would say, yes, I like a clean kitchen. 
right? So now with the idea of be hospitable to one another without grumbling. This is the opposite of grumbling. Jeremy, would you please do the dishes? Yes, dear, I'd be most happy to go do the dishes and clean them up. And do them all, clean them up, and not say one word. See the difference? See the difference? Our Christian fellow brethren are down. And they come and ask you to help them. They just simply ask for help. What's your attitude toward them? Is it love? Or is it grumbling? Because we've been commanded to help one another. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Because each and every one of us have down times. Each and every one of us, our faith becomes low. Something happens in our life and our faith begins to dwindle. Which at the time we need our Christian fellow brethren to help us one another, to be hospitable to one another. And it lifts us up and it shows love. And I've said many times that love that we show for one another is the glue that holds the church together. We need to keep that glue strong and not let it break down because as that the idea of love and the absence of it or the absence of hospitableness, the church will fall apart. In verse 10, we all know that we have gifts. We all know that we have things that God has given us and no one gift is any greater than the other because it's a gift from God and He expects us to use it to glorify Him. Notice, listen to verse 10. As each one has received a gift... Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now, I remember this verse. Do y'all know what a manifold is? You know, you know some of y'all know, don't know what a manifold is. Some saying yes, some's like, what are you talking about? A manifold. Each and every one of your cars have a manifold. It does. Each and every one of them does. This manifold is going to take one thing and distribute it. If it's in your car, it's going to distribute air and fuel to each of the cylinders, right? That's an idea of a manifold. Here we're talking about the manifold grace of God. So we have one grace, that is God, right? Each, each and every one of us have a talent. And that's God's grace extended unto us, right? With that talent that we have. So we have God's grace right here. And as we prepare a meal, as we clean the building, as we give a, a lesson, as we say our prayer, as we sing our song service, and God's grace is just being extended through us to individuals. Have you ever noticed that? The manifold grace of God. Each and every one of us are a manifold. We're distributing something. We're taking the grace that God has given us by the talents that we have, and we're extending it to someone else. Now, which is better? I'll ask this a trick question, too. I'll give you a hint. Mark's already shaking his head. He agrees, and I haven't asked the question yet. Which is better? Cleaning the building or preparing a meal? They're both the same. Giving the lesson or, or, or singing the song in a, in a worship service is the same. We're glorifying God and we're lifting one another up because we have talents. Good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Does that not fit together now or what? Now, verse 11. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. Again, the talents that we have, do it to, for, as the oracle of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it, do it with the ability which God supplies. All right. Each and every one of us think, well, the minister is the one who's up there giving the lesson. True on Sunday morning, true on Sunday evening, and true on Wednesday night here at Boot Chapel. Well, guess who's the minister out there in the world? Each and every one of us as a church. As members, we're all ministers of the grace. We're all ministers 
in a matter of speaking. Because do you know enough to be saved? Yes, you know enough to be saved. And someone asks you a question. Now, granted, you might know the answer book, chapter, and verse, but you're able to ask their, answer their question. They ask, why are you saved? That's a wonderful question, is it not? Why are you saved? Look at the things in the world. Isn't it wonderful? The things that are, that are happening on is so much fun. There's so much things to do upon this earth, and you don't do it. Why are you saved? I can answer that real quick. All this stuff's going to be gone one day. But God's grace will be there on Judgment Day. And I want that. How easy of a question was that, right? Hopefully we all feel the same way in a matter of speaking. If someone out there on the street in the world of a worldly view asks you, why are you saved? Why do you go to church? Why do you do the things that you do? Someone of a different faith, when I say of a different faith, someone who uh, twists the scriptures and perverts uh, worship service by adding music. That's one simple example. One, one simple example. Another example is not partaking the Lord's Supper every Sunday on the first day of the week, right? Making melodies in your heart, not with an instrument. They twist it and they use that for their worship service. And they say, well, why don't you sing? Because God tells us not to. Christ never approved it for the New Testament worship. He did for the old, but not the new. See, we're all ministers. You should be able to answer that question. Because God supplied you with that ability because God let him do it with the ability which God supplies now others are going to be able to do it a little bit better than others they are so therefore if you have made, you come up to a question well somebody asks you a question and you don't know the answer let me get you somebody who can answer that my phone number's out there on the side of the building it's in every one of our handouts 931-638 2747 is my cell phone number if you're listening Call me. Ask me. I'll get you an answer. I'm not afraid. Most assuredly, Mark, he said, together we can get that answer. I agree with that 100%. Because that unanswered question may very well cost someone their spirituality. It may sit them on judgment day hearing, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you, yet to be baptized or an erring child of God. Know this, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, in the rest of verse 11, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So as God, through Christ, can be glorified. Notice it says through Christ. Why does this say through Christ? That's another wonderful question. I know I asked it. But why is through Christ there? Because we got to go through Christ to get to God. Period. We can't get to God through the window. We can't get to God up through the, the crawl space. we got to go through Christ. For Christ says, no one, no one comes to the Father except through or by me. John 14, 6. The beginning of that verse is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then, no one comes to the Father except through or by me. Whichever verse you have, the King James or the New King James. So as we go through Christ glorifying God, as we serve Him, we need to do it with an honest heart. We need to do it with a cheerful heart. As we supply those who are outside of, the, of a covenant relationship with God, when I say that, those who are yet to be baptized, those who are erring are child of God, those who have separated and walked with Christ no more, just like in John verse six and six, uh, chapter 6, verse 66. We need to make sure we're 
serving for God's glory, not serving for ourselves. You ever considered that thought? Out there in the world, helping someone to come out of their sins, are you doing it for your pat on the back? Hopefully not. Because we're supposed to be those unprofitable servants. We don't profit from that turning away from someone. When a matter of speaking, we do, but not for our glory, but God's. The scriptures tell us we've turned someone away from their from their sins. We will cover a multitude of sins just like love will. And in verse 12, so we know about the idea of serving for God's glory. Now we're also going to suffer for God's glory. Wait a minute. I don't know about this suffering thing. Listen very carefully to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial was about to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice in the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, or an evildoer, or as a busybody, or any other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers, listen to this very carefully, as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this manner. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Let's stop there in verse 17 before we finish that thought in verses 18 and 19. Strange, beloved, do not think it strange considering the fiery trial was about to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Now this is more centered on the first century. But folks, we, are, we do go through trials today. We go through tribulations today. Folks look at us funny. They, they talk down about us. And, and they, we're, we uh, endure some of Christ's sufferings even unto this day. But then, in the first century, they had it rough. They had it horrible. What did Saul do for the church? Remember Saul? Soon to be Paul. He persecuted church. This is someone who became a Christian. This is someone who became a great teacher and a, a great... Uh, well, I just lost the lost thought. He became a wonderful teacher for the Gentiles. He became a writer of a great many books of the New Testament who we learn from even in, to this day. They went through serious persecutions. They even went to the point of death, suffering in the name of Christ. But we shouldn't think of strange. Because we've made a change. We're no longer of the world. We are of God. We're no longer partaking of Satan. We're partaking of God. In verse 13, But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, that you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Let's, let's put 13 in, in perspective for us today. Judgment time has come. Christ is coming with the, the trumpet has sound. The angels are out reaping those who are Christ. Now, granted, this in the twinkling of an eye. It happens that fast. But how do you feel right now? 
in your spiritual state right now, how do you feel? Are you, are you ready to accept His glory? Or are you afraid? Are you fearful? Do you begin to wonder, well, what, about, what about that that I did back there? What about yesterday? What about my absence? And how did I treat one another? Do you worry about those things? We've been told to not worry. We can get rid of those sins. We don't have to be fearful when Christ comes. We washes those sins away when we get forgiveness of them. Remember, forgive and forget. That is another attribute of God we need to remember. When we get forgiveness of our sins as we repent of them, God doesn't hold us accountable of them anymore. That's what he's told us. That's not my words. That's the words of the pen, penmanships of those who wrote the New Testament. We don't have to worry whenever Christ comes. Notice what it says, that when his glory is revealed. At this time, Christ is the right hand of God when this is being written. When his glory is revealed, that's him coming back. That's him to reclaim those who are his. You may also be glad. All right. You may also be glad. May. Oh, that word may is such a strong, powerful word there. Why is it strong and powerful? Because it's up to us whether or not we're going to accept or receive that gladness on Judgment Day. When Christ's glory is revealed, when He comes back, it's up to us as individuals whether or not we're glad or fearful on that day. But the word exceeding joy is there. It exceeds any joy that we've ever participated in. It exceeds any type of heartfelt thing that we've ever participated in or we've even felt when Christ comes to reclaim you, me, and those who are faithful around the globe. Because the church is not just here at Boot Chapel. The church is worldwide. The church is the faithful members who are worshiping God this morning, this evening, and in a Bible class, faithfully serving unto them. Revelations 2.10. Verse 14, again, we're going to receive reproaches. We're going to go through hardships. We're going to go through hard times. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. What a wonderful statement. As we remain faithful, as we're continually stead, being steadfast in our faith or in the way, that way being Christianity, that way being with God, being obedient to his word, following his commands, abiding in his love, when we do that, we will be blessed upon that day. Because we're, as we go through reproaches, don't let those things get you down. You go through hardships, don't let those tear you up. If folks start talking about you funny and treating you bad, don't let it get you down. Because Christ is there. Do you think he went through hardships? He surely did. They wanted to kill him many times over and over again, but he escaped those certain instances. His work had not been fulfilled yet. When he went to the cross, his work was fulfilled. It was his time to leave this earth upon that cross for our sacrifice. And in verse 15, the idea of suffering, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's business, or excuse me, matters. Don't suffer as one of those. What's a murderer suffer for today? If they get caught guilty of a murder, what are, they going, what are they suffering? The hardships of prison. The hardships of being put to death if it's a death sentence. 
right? That hardship as, as if you're a busybody. Someone talking, well, that person is, is the gossip of the town, right? You want something? No, just ask them. A thief. Well, you can't accept him in your home. He'll take everything you got. That idea of suffering. Let no one suffer as these things. The murderer, the thief, an evildoer, as a busybody, or any other people's matters. In verse 16, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, there's that, there's that term that so many people love to use until this day. Christian. Oh, I'm a Christian. Are you? How do you behave? What are you saying? What are you thinking? How do you treat one another? If anyone suffers as a Christian, this is a child of God, not someone who calls himself a Christian and does not behave like Christ. This term Christian is to be Christ-like. If anyone suffers as Christ suffered. I believe he said, Jesus Christ said, if anyone desires to come after me, if anyone desires to follow in my footsteps, if anyone tries to behave like me, what he's saying is, if anyone wants to be a Christian, the term that we love to use today, if anyone desires to be that, take up your cross and follow me. To behave like me. To think like me. To treat others like me. To be obedient to my Father like me. That's what Christian means here. If anyone suffers as a Christian, just like Christ suffered, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this manner. When we suffer today for the name of Christ, we can thank glory instead of ashamed, reproach, hardships, downtime. That's when our faith needs to be built up to take the scriptures to heart and to say what I'm doing is to glorify God and not myself. Because that's our duty as a child of His. To glorify Him. To worship and serve God. Folks, that's the reason why we're here. For this time, uh, for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Wow. The term that we like to use so much, the first is last and the last is first. For judgment has, has the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. You know what the house of God is? Christians. Children of God. Those who are Christ-like. Those who are trying their very best to be obedient to God. Judgment has, for time has come for judgment to them. Let me ask, I want to ask the group that's looking at me this evening. When's the last time you judged yourself? When's the last time you looked at yourself and said, where do I stand in the eyes of God? I hope it was this morning. I hope it was this morning right before you partook of the Lord's Supper. That was one commandment that we've been given. I hope we do it before we go to bed. I hope we do it before we take off in our car. I hope we do it often to judge ourselves. Because if we find ourselves wanting and lacking, we need to repair something. We need to fix it. We need to get right in the eyes of God. That's what we need to do. But then we look at ourselves as, I'm doing my very best. That's what God expects us. That's exactly what He very well expects of you. That's what He expects of me. And it's what He expects of everyone upon this earth to do the very best that they can to glorify Him. And if it begins with us, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Again, another wonderful question, but I do believe we know the answer of that. Who do not obey the gospel of God? Damnation. 
eternal flame, fire, punishment, anguish, weeping, gnashing of teeth. I can go on all evening about the anguish that's going to be involved in that. Who do not obey the gospel of God on judgment day. You do realize it does say, it does not say those who are outside of God. It says those who do not obey the gospel of God. This is also reserved for those who have been baptized for the remission of sins. We can also not obey the gospel of God. We can also go out there after, after baptism and walk in the world just as we used to walk. No repentance ever happened. That's going to be a sad state on Judgment Day. Again, what will be the end of those individuals? I just went through pain and suffering. Right in the very same place that was designed for Satan and all the false prophets, all his angels, all those uh, sons of disobedience that we spoke of this morning. Verse 18 and 19. Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and sinner appear? We just covered that very much. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good. Don't stop reading right there for just a second. Have you committed your soul? Have you committed your very being to glorifying God in doing good? Remember whenever that rich young ruler come up to Christ and said, good master, good teacher. What did it, Christ rebuked him. He says, only one that's good. That's not referring to who we are, but what we do. In doing good. How does one do good today? By serving God and suffering with Christ. That's exactly what it means by doing good. And the finished verse 19, as to a faithful creator. Folks, that's us. That's us upon this earth. And I mean everybody. We all have an opportunity to be obedient to God. But have we done that? Which, at this time in the lesson, I want to offer an invitation. As we understand now that we have to serve for God and we have to suffer for God. We have to give up the ways of the world. But unfortunately, the ways of the world come crashing back down. And we go along with it. As a child of God, we know we can't do it. We've got to be like Christ, and Christ did not partake in any things of this world, that being sinful, that being disobedient. <laughs> have we been obedient to God? Have we slipped up and have we fallen short? I want to encourage something at this time. Repentance. Turning away from it. Therefore, God will restore you. All we have to do is confess our sins. Come before Him and ask for forgiveness. Stop doing the things that separated us from the first place and continue our spiritual walk. Expecting the coming return of our Savior. Folks, He's coming. We don't know when, but He is coming. Let's be ready. Do you need to get ready tonight? Why don't we do so as we stand and as we sing the song of invitation?